Welcome to this peer voice activity on CAR T-cell therapy and multiple myeloma. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Drs. Michael Chu and Daryl White. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Dr. Michael Chu from the Cross Cancer Institute and the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta. Presently, relapse and refractory multiple myeloma is a very difficult disease to treat. We have very few options as patients that have been exposed to quite a bit of different lines of therapy and different classes of treatments. The most common classes are protosome inhibitors and immunomodulatory drugs. Monoclonal antibodies such as teratumumab and esetuximab targeting CD38 are often used in earlier lines of therapy now, making multiple relapse patients very difficult to treat. This is where cell therapy has been explored the most because obviously the clinical trials start at the end of the line of treatment and CAR-T cell therapy is an interesting and exploding area of research across all areas of oncology. In multiple myeloma, there are two different standard of care CAR-T cell products, Idacaptogen Veclusol, or Idacel for short, and Siltacaptogen Autolusol, or Siltacel for short. Hence, it's worthwhile to talk about how do they fit into the grander scheme of relapse multiple myeloma. Presently, CAR T-cell therapy is targeting B-cell maturation antigen, or BCMA for short. BCMA is a very highly conserved marker on plasma cells after they go through their malignant transformation into myeloma cells. So targeting BCMA is very selective in this instance and doesn't cause a lot of off-tumor effect as a result. Chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy is a bit complicated, though, in terms of actual execution, as it is quite different from that of traditional chemotherapy. CAR T-cell therapy requires starting off with the patient's own autologous T-cells and manipulating them in a lab prior to them going back in. To be in a bit more detail, this requires an apheresis, or in this case, a leukoapheresis, prior to going into the manufacturing process. The T-cells have to be transduced or genetically engineered and given essentially the blueprint with the plasma sequence that encodes for the actual CAR receptor. This CAR receptor comes with two different stimulatory domains that actually activate the T-cell after it encounters the antigen, in this case BCMA, which leads to the in vivo expansion of the CAR T-cells and recruitment of the endogenous T-cells to go after the malignancy. Presently, CAR T-cell is administered as an autologous product. In other words, the patient's own T-cells are being utilized, but this comes with significant disadvantages, one of which is obviously the production timeline and the access to manufacturing. This means that we actually have to get the T-cells out and then manufacture them on demand, which takes time. This is also costly of the system just because of the rush that's required and the use of a centralized manufacturing system at the present point. And we're also very reliant on the patient's own T-cells. And so there's a great exploration into looking at allogeneic CAR T-cells, essentially from healthy donors, as a way of producing CAR T-cells in off-the-shelf uh, maneuver to speed up the delivery and also to cut down on cost. Potential downsides to this, of course, is the graft-versus-host disease that is accompanied by taking an allogeneic source. So let's explore the CAR T-cell therapies in relapse and refractory multiple myeloma and look at the evidence of nidocell and siltacell. With CARTITUDE 1 and the use of siltacell, patients had to have at least three prior lines of therapy on this clinical trial. In this phase one going into phase two, there's a very high response rate with almost 98% of responders and a very high rate of complete responses at almost 83%. And the median progression-free survival has actually not yet been reached at the time of reporting. The IDACEL in phase two pharma trials are also very effective therapy. With IDACEL, three prior lines of therapy aren't the minimum. 
their overall response rate was still quite high at 73%, with complete responses happening in 33% of individuals. Now, obviously, CAR T-cell therapies are not without their side effects. I do want to highlight, of course, that the main concerns with CAR T-cell therapy are unique side effects such as cytokine release syndrome, which was quite common across cell and cell. but the actual incidence of grade 3 to 4 was not very high between both constructs. Neurologic toxicity, or ICANS for short, is something that seems to be a little bit more construct-dependent and may be a little bit more prevalent with both cell and cell compared to what we see with the leukemia lymphoma constructs at this point in time. And the last thing, of course, is infectious issues as we eliminate antibody-producing cells and how best to actually manage those infectious issues is still an area of research. Now, there are differences between these cell and cell studies. I think it's worthwhile to identify where some of those differences are, and in particular that the actual dosing was quite different between cell and cell. Idacel was flat-based dosed, and they recommended 450 million CAR T-cells as being the dose that they moved on to phase 2. cell dosing was 0.75 million per kilogram instead, so weight-based dosing. The populations were also different. For example, the median prior lines of therapy was 6 across both studies, but there was a different range in cell compared to that of cell. One of the commentaries is whether or not this played a factor into why the overall responses and the duration of remission may have been a little bit different. Now, obviously, take that with a grain of salt because it's a cross-trial comparison. I just want to highlight, of course, that the number of patients that were triple-class exposed versus triple-class refractory, as that does make a difference in terms of the overall function of these patients after those exposures. But that begs the question then, who is the ideal CAR T-cell patient? Well, that's an area of interest and certainly an area of research. And to draw any major conclusions at this point is a little bit difficult, as that really depends on also the CAR T-cell construction process. Now, of course, starting with an autologous T-cell product, you want to make sure that those T-cells are as healthy as possible. So certainly younger patients with fewer lines of prior therapy seem to make the most sense. The biggest thing in terms of the CAR T-cell product is really whatever is the easiest and fastest to get, as getting the vein-to-vein time as short as possible plays a very important aspect. Patients with very aggressive disease or those that have, unfortunately, very short expectations of survival may not necessarily be the best, especially if that manufacturing timeline is very long. So exactly how much disease is required is hard to know at this point. So certainly future directions are to use the autologous BCMA-directed CAR T-cells in earlier lines of therapy. And both cell and IDASL are being explored. There's exploration into the targeting of BCMA because BCMA can be shed off of the myeloma cells and there is soluble BCMA that can be distracting. Gamma secretase inhibition is one way of trying to keep the BCMA on the cells, hopefully improving the CAR T-cell efficacy. Another method in terms of improving overall CAR T-cell construction process are looking at PI3 kinase inhibitors and manipulation of the actual production. So in summary, CAR T-cell therapy is a very exciting area, but does still require quite a bit of understanding as to not only how best to use the product, but also how to actually manufacture it in a more timely fashion, make it more applicable to even greater population as a whole.
CAR T is an exciting advance for patients with hematologic malignancy. And in some cases, such as multiple myeloma, offering the possibility of a prolonged remission in patients who wouldn't otherwise achieve that in the multiply relapse setting. Patient journey in CAR T cell therapy is, however, complex. The therapy itself has many challenges. These include lengthy manufacturing time, the availability of treatment centers in that some patients may need to travel to major centers or even outside the country, limited manufacturing slots, risk of failure in the manufacturing of the product, access to care, lengthy hospital stay, and costs that may be associated with travel, as well as costs for the center in terms of the expense of the product. Specific to myeloma, there are additional challenges. Myeloma is associated with complex immunoregulatory alterations that include a decreased CD4 T-cell subgroup, enhanced T-cell exhaustion, increased T-cell senescence, and abnormal sensitivity to mitogens. Prior to using lymphodepleting chemotherapy and corticosteroids, all of these things exist and may result in a decreased T-cell yield and dysfunctional T-cells. Currently, hospital stay is required and specialized care is needed, particularly in the case of serious toxicity. The main challenge in CAR-T therapy is the management of both the short-term and long-term toxicity. Currently approved for CAR-T therapy in the relapse setting, there are two agents. The first is Idacel and the second is Siltacel. The pivotal trial with Idacel is the CARMA-2 trial and with Siltacel, the CARTA-2 trial. The drugs are fairly similar in that they're both anti-BCMA and bring in T-cells through CD3. The siltacel agent has two BCMA epitopes that are the binding site. In terms of the trials thus far, looking at the KARMA and the CARTITUDE trials, there is impressive efficacy, but also toxicity. And generalizing, the overall rate of response for both trials is quite high at 73 and 97% respectively. There's a high rate of cytokine release syndrome, in fact, in most patients at 84 and 95% respectively. However, grade 3 and greater CRS is much less common. The neurotoxicity, again, in both cases is much less frequent than the cytokine release syndrome, with grade 3 and onward neurotoxicity in these trials being in the range of 4 to 10%. It's worth noting that Idacel and Siltacel both have boxed warnings for cytokine release syndrome, ICANS, and the other neurologic toxicities, and also HLH and macrophage activation syndrome. So to go a little further into the cytokine release syndrome and the immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, these tend to occur about 21 days after treatment with a neurological toxicity occurring later than cytokine release syndrome. Either of these adverse events can become severe or life-threatening and may require intensive care management. The grading for CRS and ICANS most usually is graded per the 2019 American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy, or ASTCT, guidelines, with the main features of the CRS grading being fever, both severity and duration, hypotension and hypoxia, and the ICANS neurological grading depending on encephalopathy score, so level of consciousness, seizure, motor findings, and signs of elevated intracranial pressure or cerebral edema. There are of course, other adverse events occurring in these patients, including cytopenias and infection. Adverse events can be either early, such as with cytokine release syndrome and ICANS, or possibly delayed due to impaired humoral and cellular immunity and the persisting hypogammaglobulinemia that can go on up to a year and potentially beyond. 
And with that comes, again, varying infections, including the bacterial infections that we're fairly used to with intense chemotherapy in the early stage, with later infections being more opportunistic viruses and fungal infections, including molds and pneumocystis. Management of cytokine release syndrome is fairly similar to what would be done in our centers with early grade cytokine release syndrome, typically showing up as a fever, potentially flu-like symptoms, fairly nonspecific. Early on, one would, of course, consider infection in the differential diagnosis and do an infectious disease workup and otherwise support the patient more nonspecifically. As one moves down to the higher grades of cytokine release syndrome using tocilizumab, we tend to come in at grade two. Management in the intensive care unit would likely follow at grades three and four, and other agents, including corticosteroids, may be added at that stage. In terms of the ICANS management, oftentimes this is, in fact, more difficult early on supportive care, and then later on patients receiving corticosteroids and possibly other agents as well. Sometimes the neurotoxicity and the cytokine release syndrome coexist, and in that situation, one may use tocilizumab as well as steroids. Additionally, there is the use of anakinrum in this situation, and that agent may be used for the neurotoxicity itself. There are other adverse events that may need to be managed. So prolonged cytopenia after the cytokine release syndrome can require growth factors, particularly GCSF. The long-term hypogammaglobulinemia, many of these patients do require prophylactic intravenous gammaglobulin subsequent to the recovery. And again, going back to the chart of various infections that may occur, patients may require broad-spectrum antibiotics and antivirals. There is a macrophage activation syndrome, which can occur and may require, again, anakinra or steroids. Some of the clinical considerations generally that can be taken into account for the management of these toxicities include avoiding antipsychotic therapy in the ICANs without evidence of cytokine release syndrome, keeping in mind that patients will be able to receive a maximum number of doses of tocilizumab, and at that point, one might consider moving on to steroids. The duration of fever is important, and again, in my practice, at 72 hours of fever, we would consider tocilizumab, and of course, look for persisting infection. The vaccination is important as a later consideration, particularly in the ongoing pandemic times with COVID vaccine prior to the CAR-T, of course, being suboptimal. So moving on to consider the patient journey, I think it is still evolving. And there are concerns to consider from the patient's perspective. So patients often are quite ill coming into this treatment. They do wonder and worry as to when their physical functioning will return to baseline. What's the impact of this therapy on psychosocial health and function? And the long-term effects of this therapy, as it is a relatively new therapy, are just really becoming realized. As time goes on, we'll know how to better manage the common side effects of the treatment, including the static gun release syndrome and ICANS. And then finally, and importantly, improved education of patients, their family, and their care team about CAR-T therapy. So in summary, CAR-T therapy represents a major advance in some hematologic malignancies, including relapsed and refractory multiple myeloma. I think we're in the early stages of this new therapy, and we're learning how to both treat with these agents and also how to mitigate the concerning toxicities of this treatment. Currently, many patients do become very ill with cytokine release syndrome or ICANS or both, as well as the traditional chemotherapy side effects, despite this mortality related to the procedure itself is in fact quite limited. 
I think this will undoubtedly have an impact on our patients and our practice, and hopefully we'll have access to CAR-T therapies in multiple myeloma more commonly in Canada very soon. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.